breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is an honor to be with all of you. I hope and pray you all had a wonderful Independence Day, July 4th, celebration of the birthday of the greatest country on earth, the greatest nation that born that was born in freedom and lives on in liberty and celebration of democracy for all those with thanks and gratitude to all those who fight for its freedom, who fight for its democracy and liberty. And in spite of those who want to see us end and fail, in spite of those who hate us, we continue to persevere against enemies internal and external. It is always an honor to be with you and an honor to be an American. I hope you all enjoyed the 4th and had a great time with your families and some uh, some time celebrating the birth of a nation, the flag that is the American flag. My family and I had a great time on uh, the 4th, celebrating it up in uh, Prescott, Arizona, in uh, the northern part of Arizona, listening to music from uh, the Army Band uh, as the fireworks went off, but also preceded by the headliner, who was Ryan Weaver, American patriot, country singer. He said things like, if you want to stand for something, respect the stars and stripes, get up or get out. You know, sometimes I remember listening to so many leftists from U2 on and thinking to myself, why are they bringing politics into music? I came here, I came here for the music. But if you come to a celebration for the 4th, I think that's the only the only times it is appropriate to hear the beliefs of those who want to share in those things that unify us, which is the flag. And he went on to talk about how he's a Gold Star family twice. He served in Iraq, lost his brother, lost his brother-in-law. Unbelievable sacrifice so many families have made for this country. And I, as an American Muslim, who have benefited from this freedom, whose family came and benefited from this freedom, stand to honor those. And remember, remember it in holidays from Memorial Day to Veterans Day to the 4th of July. And we hope we can make this a more perfect nation. We hope we can bring our teams together into one team. We are not two teams, four teams. We are one team that needs to defend this country. And yet we are splitting further apart. I've talked to you about many of the threats. And we'll continue to work against those threats through this program, through all of you, and through the work that we do in our foundation at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and at the Muslim Reform Movement. Because we should celebrate our heroes. We should celebrate what it means, what America means to us, to me. Now, a lot to talk about this week. One of the things that, uh, a number of things have been going on, but the Islamist organizations, the NGOs in the West are beginning to implode. This is what happens when they get a lot of attention. Sometimes without scrutiny, things are just let loose. And their misogyny, their lawfare, 
Their oppression of those who work with them is beginning to show, and we'll get to that. There is a website called The Unheard, U-N-H-E-R-D. There's reports this week about how Hamas has a hub in London. I want to talk to you about that. And we're going to talk about a foundation that Dalia Lakiti exposed in the name of the former theocrat dictator that ran Egypt, Mohammed Morsi. And last, is it Me Too, except for Muslims? We've had programs about that years ago, and these NGOs like the Council on American Islamic Relations and many of the imams here in the West are showing that perhaps that might be true. Few organizations, some are, but few media organizations are actually talking about it. First of all, you know, you look at some of the some of the sympathies that Hamas and its propaganda arms get. I gave you some of the deeper reasons between in the red-green axis and how the socialists are in bed with the Islamists. And we saw in Britain, for example, years ago, how Jeremy Corbyn, sort of the equivalent of Bernie Sanders here in America, was basically becoming a amplifier, spokesperson for Hamas out of London. And what was the what what did he leave in his wake when it comes to the power structures that exist in London? It was a great piece a month ago by Jake Simmons on how London became a hub for Hamas. He wrote it in The Spectator. He said as the dust settles over Gaza and Israel's iron dorm sensors cool, minds inevitably turn to the lessons that can be learned from the 11-day conflict that cost hundreds of lives. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab, American Secretary of State Blinken, and other dignitaries have visited the region and offered their carefully calibrated support for both sides, quote-unquote. The British government, though, has become part of the problem. It may have deep security, military ties with the Jewish state, but their lurks, their lurks, as Simon says, their lurks an elephant in the room. London has been allowed to become one of the world's most important Hamas hubs. Now, mind you, Hamas is still listed as a terror group by the U.S. Department of State. And I'm sure if Biden had his druthers, they would change that status, much like they're trying to do with the IRGC, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, and the theocrats of Iran, no matter how radical they get. And many have looked the other way in London, in Britain, as NGOs linked to Hamas raise millions of pounds a year, and it's funneled into terror group coffers. In other words, British pounds are raining down on the heads of Israeli civilians in the form of lethal rockets. And nothing's being done about it. There have been attempts to ban Hamas in Britain, but that's failed. Boris Johnson offered warm words, but nothing concrete. 
Dowden, the culture secretary in Britain, responded to questions by passing the buck to the Home Office. But if you look deeper, if you look deeper to it, what's happening? What is the background of this? The depth of it goes to the fact that some people think they're giving to hospitals and plumbing and schools and other things, when in fact, the distinction between the military and the civilian arms of Hamas is artificial and has no place in the fight against modern terrorism. As an Israeli security official said, we saw in the latest conflict that the political arm dictates the use of force. The civilian arm takes care of providing significant funding to the military arm, and members of Hamas's military arm play a significant role in other arms. And as I've said on this program before, the Palestinians need an Arab Spring against their radical Islamists running their programs, and you're not going to drive that without cutting off the fuel lines, the supply of Hamas's coffers. Same thing with Iran. Iran was on the brink of a green revolution, of a another revolution against um, the Islamists, the Khomeinists, and others. And yet, now with Biden unraveling it and trying to open the economy, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heyday for the Islamists, which will keep them in power ever so much longer. So, it's all the whole argument is the same as that as the Brits turn a blind eye to the growing millions of pounds from NGOs and others. It radicalizes Muslims not only in Gaza, not only in Palestinian areas, but in Britain. As Hamas and Erdogan from Turkey in his AKP and his Islamists and Iran continue to fuel not only the missiles, not only the radicalization, but also the media arms, the propaganda against the West. And that feeds right into the Corbins and Sanders of the world that enjoy hating the countries they live in and they claim to represent. It's a massive mistake to think that these organizations care about the Palestinian people care about peace and if we're going to fix this this needs to be exposed Hamas is simply the Muslim Brotherhood and when they can't infiltrate and get to power like they did in Egypt with Morsi they will try to influence the West in buying into their program as part of democracy when in fact it's majoritocracy And it's so important to understand that these organizations that are growing in Britain are part of the Hamas infrastructure, are part of the global Islamist infrastructure of the Muslim Brotherhood and others. And that you cannot defeat the radicalism of Hamas without cutting off its tentacles of connections. It's the same for the Muslim Brotherhood globally. It's the same for Jamaat Islamiyah out of Pakistan. It's the same for Al-Qaeda and for ISIS. All part of the same 
network of radicalization that's fueled by some dictators often that want to see the Palestinians and others radicalized, like Erdogan, like the Taliban and others, like Khomeinis, like the Khomeinists, Khomeini and others, and now Riesi, the hanging judge who's now president of Iran. And we've seen now a synergy of the Islamic Supreme Council and the assembly that the president will lead in Iran. So the terror threat is growing. It shifts with the alphabet soup of various organizations from the Brotherhood to Al-Qaeda to ISIS back to Hamas and others. But the bottom line is that the situation continues to radicalize because the left especially is fueling the anti-Semitism and other ideas that are part of their ideological infrastructure. Now, we see this also in America. Now, America, we are not, they're not able to, uh, you know, you saw in the Holy Land Foundation trial that that conviction back in 2009 after a second trial led to the imprisonment of five out of the six board members, I believe, if not six, because of funneling money to Hamas, the terror organization that it is. And obviously the FBI was able to unroof that after quite an intensive, quite an intensive investigation and trial after the first one was a mistrial because of our designation of Hamas as a terror organization. But that was probably the peak in which the anti-Islamist movement had both with government and with media as that trial came to fruition. However, even with that, I was writing things in the Dallas paper and elsewhere at the time, and it was not easy. The Hamas supporters were seen as sympathetic Never mind their ideology, never mind their anti-Semitism, never mind their conspiracy theories, never mind their misogyny. They were seen as sympathetic because the identity movement of Palestinians against Israel, even though the Jewish minority in America and in the West has its own history of dealing with anti-Semitism and hate and fascism. But that sympathy seems to have waned and been tossed to the wayside for sympathy for an identity movement of Palestinians that uh, for, for any discerning balanced eye is not being run by the moderates in the room, is being run by the, the radicals, the Islamists, the terrorists whether they be secular like Mahmoud Abbas or they be Islamist like Hamas Speaking of Hamas in America, this week we saw some fascinating pieces coming out from Ayan Hirsi Ali, who talked about America's Muslim Me Too moment. Finally, America's Muslim Me Too moment. In addition to the investigative project on terrorism with Stephen Emerson talking about sued by care, an ex-employee releases evidence of discrimination and hush money payouts. 
seems like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, also known as Hamas on K Street, is having its Me Too moment. I've talked to you many times on this program about the reports of the harassment done by executive directors like Hassan Shibli out of Florida, who resigned January 2019 or 20, and after admitting, I believe, that he had a second wife that he had an Islamic religious contract with and now has divorced his, his wife since, not to mention other women that came forward reporting intimidation and other types of misogynistic, oppressive behaviors of Hassan Shibli. Now we see a, a explosive report coming out about Lori Soraya who's actively engaging in, according to CARE, a systemic and continuous internet smear campaign to damage CARE's reputation and to cause CARE severe economic harm, said in its lawsuit filed May 21 in a Minnesota federal court. Soraya ran CARE's Minnesota chapter from 2007 to 16. Nine years she worked for them, then moved to its national office. She also served on its national board of directors. But she left the organization two years later. So she served on the board. Soraya's internal care communications show staffers in her response grappling with sensitive legal issues that they acknowledge could cause the organization significant harm and embarrassment. She's been exposing what she feels to be the truth with documentation and communications to back it up. The lawsuit alleged from CARE said that Soraya controls an account called Muslims Documenting Sexism, which has sent numerous communications asking allied people and organizations not to partner with CARE or their chapters because they had a pattern of discrimination and abuse inside CARE including sexual harassment, abuse, and exploitation. And it goes on. In April, NPR reported speaking with 18 former employees at the national office and several prominent chapters who said there was a general lack of accountability when it came to its perceived gender bias, religious bias, or mismanagement. Many of those interviewed, both men and women, asked NPR not to use their names for fear of legal or professional retaliation. Fascinating. And the report goes on. I'd, I'd ask you to read it and look for both Ayan Hirsi Ali's report of some of the depth of the information that she gleaned from interviewing some of the women that have been attacked by care leaders and also the report from Steve Emerson, Investigative Project on Terrorism. Many times they looked away as the actions of their executive directors proved to be 
misogynistic, oppressive, and, and harassment. The courts will bear much of this out. There was even hush money involved in which attorneys are on record, care attorneys are on record, saying that basically that according to a previous candidate for an attorney position with care Dallas Fort Worth care placed her in a professional financial peril and that she was more than kind she said in an email in the process and it's due to care DFW's gross mismanagement that I'm in this position Karen Hernandez said she wrote in March 2018 email I'd hate for word to get out as to how I've been treated and that care if DFW's donors insisted I not be executive director because I'm not Muslim and that the board caved to their demands and then Danet Zaghari Mass care's non-profit compliance attorney suggested paying Hernandez $10,000 in two payments spaced five months apart with a non-disclosure agreement because she wanted to mitigate the risk of public pressure and defamatory speech against Dallas-Fort Worth chapter. And it goes on. Amazing. This is enough for the... This is uh, quite a sordid affair from across the country to various chapters that have existed and continue to be unroofed. And if you look, and what is, what is amazing is that this organization continues to, to be, at times, sort of the voice for Muslims. And we've been, many of us have been sounding the alarm from the moment they did their first interview, as, I, as we did in forming our organization from the ground, from ground zero after 9-11. And ground zero, metaphorically, we did it out of Arizona but did it because the care representatives were misrepresenting Muslims. They were representing the Islamist movement globally. And yes, they were representing the power structure, but that power structure was a corrupt, Islamist, anti-American, anti-Semitic, radicalized movement that was misogynistic and oppressive to Muslims both within and globally and supported regime supported uh, power entities, anything that was anti-American, anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian, pro-Muslim Brotherhood, pro-Khomeinist, and pro-Jamaat Islamiyah and Diobandi out of Pakistan, to name a few. But now, the veneer of identity politics, the veneer, the veneer of Muslim civil rights is being pulled back as you see legal wranglings and corruption that is unethical, that is not about rights, but about saving face. We've seen this in women that choose not to wear the hijab with care representing them. We've seen this in imams that have gone from job to job and when care is contacted about helping expose what they've done. They say, oh, we don't do internal internal civil rights. We do the 
American civil rights issues. Oh, okay, so these are not Americans. They are American victims, but because they're victims at the hands of the Islamist minders and thugs in our community, then it doesn't matter. Hats off to Lori Soraya, who's beginning to unroof this. Read the piece from Ayanna Hersey Ali that goes into some of the history, the personal history of Lori and what she's gone through in her almost 10 years of working with care, if not more, and her case and the exposure of some of the lies that she had to deal with working at care. It's an amazing story that covers some of the territory we've covered here frequently, but I think exposes what we need to do to get true reform against the Islamists. Because when it came to the Me Too movement for the left, it was really not always simply about the righteousness of women's rights. I think it was quite impressive when it came to how they confronted the power brokers at Hollywood, because, again, that was mostly far left. God bless them for doing that. But there were some groups that were just untouchable, that were too too protected. Some politicians, whether it be the Clintons, the Bidens, or whoever. And now we see the Islamists were untouchable, but now slowly that veneer is leaving. Let's look at what other NGOs are doing around the world. Dalia El-Akidi, in her piece on June 27, in Arab News says, A new campaign to promote freedom, democracy, justice, and human rights has been taking place on the streets of New York. Seems noble. It's ironic, though, that it was launched by a new nonprofit in the name of the late Mohammed Morsi the former Egyptian president and Muslim Brotherhood leader who collapsed and died in Cairo in 2019 while on trial for espionage. They wanted to launder his image. They wanted to clean it up and remind everybody that he was all about justice, prosperity, and democracy. But like its other Islamist terrorists in suits, as she calls them, takes advantage of America's lack of knowledge of how the terror organizations have human rights arms, they have civil rights arms, they have identity politics arms, and then they have military and political arms. The Morsi Foundation for Democracy posted an online video message, as Dahlia points out from Yassin Ektay, chief aide to Turkish President Recep Erdogan, in which he praised the Muslim Brotherhood's role in the Middle East and North Africa. We will not forget the president's position on justice issues in Syria, Yemen, Libya, and Tunisia, he says, and his position on our main cause, which is Palestine, he said. Our main cause. So now you have a Turk and an Egyptian organization saying their main cause is Palestine. Is there any clearer attempt to radicalize the Muslim population than that? where you have folks that have internal massive problems from Egypt to Turkey. But no, the Islamists know that they can't use any of the internal issues because they failed so miserably. Erdogan is a a, a cultist tyrant in Turkey. So they look abroad and use the Palestinian issue. 
The Morsi Foundation for Democracy was registered and set up in London as a private limited company in May 2020. I hadn't heard about it to Dahlia until Dahlia pointed out. It has offices in Washington, Italy, France, Indonesia, Malaysia, and of course Turkey, as she notes. Its directors are two of Morsi's children, Ahmed and El Shima, U.S. citizens who live in Egypt. And it includes a, a whole slew of other Islamist supporters in, from the media and elsewhere. Follow it. Look at its connections to Qatar. Look at its connections to Turkey. Look at its connections to leading Islamists that are beginning to push its messages because Morsi's legacy, as much as it ended, thankfully, from destroying Egypt, now will attempt, much like Khashoggi and others. Khashoggi, again, met a, a, a horrific death at the hand of the sort of uh, uh, mafia arm of the Saudi government that uh, assassinated him in Istanbul in their embassy. But we hear a few, just a few weeks later, finally the media waking up and exposing how he had multiple wives and, and multiple relationships and other things that were just or that were just disgusting. And now the Washington Post reports it and again buries the lead years later. So these Islamists, they're not any better than the dictators running these countries. They're not Democrats. They're using democracy, as Erdogan said, as a train, and they'll get off it when they get where they need to go. So follow this Morsi Foundation, see what they're doing, and don't be fooled. Last, sometimes there's some unbelievable lessons we can learn from tragedies that happen. And one of the tragedies that has a recurrent theme is honor killing. And usually... These honor killings are men, uncles, fathers, brothers, killing their daughters, sisters, nieces, because they dishonored the family. They sought to date a non-Muslim. They sought to wear a shorter skirt or not wear a hijab. So they were killed. We saw that from thousands in the West to tens and hundreds in Muslim countries. The UN reports on the level of honor killings that happens all the time. But it's not only, by the way, while the vast majority of them are from the victims of vulnerable women, sometimes it's young men who dishonor their mothers, who dishonor their aunts. In Britain, last week, a couple weeks ago, it was reported that Naveed Raza, 52, pleaded guilty to stalking and using threatening behavior against her son, Mohsen Raza, 27, when she found out he was dating Carolyn Downey. According to Tim Bugler in British media, a businesswoman, and this was in, uh, in Mirror, a businesswoman who threatened to kill her youngest son as he brought shame on the family by dating a white girl, has been spared jail. She's the director of Edinburgh 
property company pleaded guilty to shaking, to stalking her son, Mohsen, a pharmacist at 27. She held a knife at her own throat and told him that this would be the only way for him to carry on seeing his girlfriend. She then bombarded him with texts, subjected him to emotional blackmail. Prosecutor said in the case that the family hold Muslim faith and the accompanying cultural traditions. He began a relationship with Carolyn in March 2019, and it was said to be have kept secret from the family because of this kind of behavior. So you wonder why kids don't talk to their parents about relationships and other things, because this is what they're worried about. They're terrorized by being responsible for the suicide of his mother or the, or, or countless other types of pressures that we you can only imagine, God forbid, what they are. And Miss Cunningham said that Mustin realized that they had become suspicious around July last summer after his mother rang his football coach asking what time he had attended training and when it had ended. He usually met his girlfriend after work, after training rather. They kept trying to prevent being caught and he would often see his mother waiting for him. This is a 27-year-old young man. She then yelled at him and told him that he was bringing shame to the family as she confronted him. He refused to end the relationship. And she stood in front of him and held a knife close to her chest, pointing it towards her chin. And the terror went on. She added, Allah Qasim, if you don't get back tonight, I'll find you and I'll kill you. I'm not joking. And it goes on. The story here is that while how radical and odd and bizarre this may seem, the intricate culture, cultist natures of intolerance, of a refusal to accept the freedom of individuals to choose who they date, how they date, and let these adults be accountable to God on their own on the decisions they make is a pathology that is an obstacle to reform. And that has to change. It must change. It must be exposed. And what are the pathologies? It's not just pure and simple intolerance. It is a belief by a mother, by a father, that they are God. By an imam, by an Islamist group, that they are God. That they know what's right and for sure this person's going to hell, so they're going to stop it. They don't even have a doubt in their mind that they might be wrong. That these rigid rules of medieval draconian limitations and human behavior are somehow right. They don't even accept that they could be wrong. And as a result, it, it, it drives violence, psychological terror, and pathologies on many, many levels. And this needs to be addressed. And that's what we're trying to do here. I think as you talk to your Muslim friends, and it's all not just religious. Obviously, it's inspired at times by religious interpretations of what they believe the Prophet would sanction in marriage and other things. But it's also cultural, related to honor and dishonor that is seen sometimes not only in Muslim culture, but Arabic, Indian, Pakistani, East Asian, Indonesian culture, etc.,
It all needs to be confronted and dealt with. So again, I hope you all had a wonderful fourth. God bless this country that we can talk about these things and expose them and come together in happiness, truth, and humility. It's always great to be with all of you. Spread the word of this podcast. Reform this. Talk to your friends. Find me on social media, Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio, and share this podcast widely. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.